The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. Where you would record something and you knew the outcome of the game, but the people who were in the room didn't know the outcome of the game. I mean, you're playing with house money then, right? Because you can go, no matter how crazy it gets right there, you know what's going to happen when it's all done. This is the whole deal today. My hope and prayer today for you is that you don't learn anything new. My hope and prayer today is that you get inspired with something to go, what if you could absolutely know the outcome of how your life is going to turn out? If you absolutely would know that with certain certainty that, Jesus, that evil and Satan and sin are defeated and that Jesus not just might be king, but indeed already is and will find full expression of that in the future. Be awesome. Now, another thing I need to tell you about today is that after our service today, uh, we are going to go out to Panera's afterwards, a bunch of us. So if you haven't had uh, dinner yet, we're going to go to Panera's and just take over the joint. So come have dinner with us at Panera's. Um, It's somewhere here. Here we go. In Revelation... We looked last week at, uh, we said two weeks in Revelation. If you were here the last two weeks, uh, you know it was a little dicey and difficult. Whores and prostitutes and dragons and beasts. It was eternal damnation and all kinds of just gnarly stuff that's in there. And now we get to the part of Revelation that's all like the, we win and let's eat. That's the theme of the last three to four chapters of Revelation. We win and let's eat something. And so after, in, in Revelation 19, excuse me, in Revelation 18, Babylon, this great world empire, is absolutely smashed and defeated. And in, in order to celebrate that, the next thing we see in Revelation, we hear in Revelation, is a song. They sing a victory song that, you know, the whole classic, we are the champions kind of a song that they do there. And in a world that feels like Evil is winning, and the crazy people are going to win again. And I'm not just talking about politics. Some of you know that, what that's like because you just spent time with your family at Thanksgiving. I was talking to somebody, go, what are you most grateful about Thanksgiving? That it's over, you know, for some people, certainly. Um, But uh, we we sing, if uh, we follow sports out here in Southern California, but we have 18 options of the beach and the mountains and the mall. And we have just fantastic things to do all the time. I've had the chance to meet some people who live in the southeast of our country. When those people win games and they play games, it is crazy. This is what's going on in Revelation right here. It is crazy mayhem celebration because the king is winning. The king has won. In order to get that, I want you to... I almost wish we had like a, a soundtrack we could put behind this to feel the vibe and the rhythm of this because you were going to read these as words and miss the idea of, of what the music would inspire us for. So think of the greatest band you know, whether it's the Stones or it's Queen or U2. Thank you. They're God's band. They're headlining in heaven. Um, whoever, just imagine like a great soundtrack of, of like some great, instrumental bridge in there and hear that as the background of this. After this, after the massive defeat of the, of the evil world empire, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven and they're not just singing there, shouting, screaming their heads off, 
Praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. God, God, you're going to echo across the caverns. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murder of his servants. And again, their voices rang out. Praise the Lord. The smoke from that city ascends forever and ever. And then the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshiped God who was, mark that in your Bible, sitting on the throne. You know what, Revelation? You never see God standing up. You know why? Because you know who sits down? The winner. They're not worried about anything. They're sitting down like, let's have a parade. Sitting on his throne, they cried out, amen, praise the Lord. And from the throne came a voice that said, praise our God, all his servants, all who fear him from the least to the greatest. In other words, it's not just the rich people and the influential that gets in, and it's not just the jacked up, screwed up people over here too. Everybody can get into this kingdom that God has. And then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Ever remember Benny Ben where like lightning hit and it hit like 20 feet away and that thunder that came? This is what you're hearing now. Some of us have read the Bible way too come like USA News or some CNN blog report like yawn. And don't miss the drama of all this. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come, here's where it is, the meal's coming, for the wedding feast of the Lamb. What, what this hearkens to is that our relationship with God is that we are, he is the groom, and we are his people. We are collectively the bride of Christ. He said, there's coming a day now where I'm going to come back. I've engaged you. I've betrothed you to myself. I've built the house. Everything's ready to go. And now, and again, those of you that grew up in the Middle East, anybody here grew up in the Middle East? Some of you have been in the Middle East and seen things there. When they have weddings back there, we think our weddings last long because they last two or three or four hours. They, and they go like till midnight, right? Their weddings last for days. They know how to party back there, which is why they ran out of wine at the wedding that Jesus went to in Cana, because when you have, you just can't, didn't bring enough. Different story, different sermon. Um, let us be glad. The time has come for the wedding feast of Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. This is the main point today, but all too often, the church of Jesus Christ, like, oh, they're jacked up, they're messed up, they're screwed up. That is not how Jesus sees you. I've had a chance to do a numbers of weddings in my life, and you'll watch. Everybody turns around to see the beautiful bride. As she comes in, I always watch the dude. And that dude is sitting there and looking at that girl and just absolutely entranced, can't believe. This is how God sees you. His bride, white, beautiful, fantastic. Uh, it, it's, yeah, anyway, let's keep going. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast. There it is again. We're going to eat. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, no, no, no. Don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. And mark this in your Bible. Worship only God. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. This is why for years I never did Revelation. Because always the Revelation was all about 
uh, the seven seal judgments and figuring out what the tenth horn of the seventh beast is and what the dragon was and let's discern the mark of the beast and the time frame over the amillennial, postmillennial, premillennial stuff. And he's going, look, he's saying that he, John's getting all entranced like, with this a massive angel. And, and the angel's not a bad angel, not like a demon, not like Babylon that's deceiving anybody. This is a beautiful, fantastic angel in the presence of God. John's all like, this is amazing, this is awesome. And the angel goes, no, no, don't miss this. Anything even in a church or a Bible study that takes revelation and has you more perplexed about who the Antichrist is than who Jesus Christ is, is doing it wrong completely. The essence of prophecy is clear testimony about Jesus, not the schedule of who, what, when, where, and how. And, and this is where, this is, this is so good here. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Now, those of you who've grown up going to church and maybe paid attention when we did the book of John a few years ago here, when John, who's getting this vision revelation here, when John introduces his book, he does not talk about the birth of Jesus at all. What he says was, is this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's saying this is the Word of God. This is Jesus here that's on this there, and he's like, make sure we know this, because when Jesus shows up the first time, he comes as a little six-pound, seven-ounce, gold-plated baby Jesus. And then walks around our other image of Jesus we have in our culture is, is you know, Western supermodel Jesus with product in his hair, with light that hits it perfectly, with cut biceps and arms and all that kind of stuff. We'll get to that in a second. I lost my place. Um, this is Jesus. He wore a robe dipped in blood. You know what? The battle hasn't been fought yet. You know whose blood that is? Not the enemy's. Now, you know whose blood it is? It's his blood. The battle hasn't even fought yet. The battle was won and fought on the cross. And the reason that he's going to win is not because we all are awesome and we all won the battle for him. It's because he won by, by giving his life in sacrifice. The armies of heaven, that's you and me, Christians, uh, if you're a Christian today, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. Now, those of you in the military are going, wait a minute. You're going into battle? on a white horse, because white horses aren't used in battle. Those are the expensive ones. Those are used, you know where the white horses are used? In the victory parade. And you know when the soldiers wear white linen? In the victory parade. In other words, we get to be in the victory parade and we didn't do a dang thing to win this battle. We, we're dressed in, in white linen because he's dressed in linen dipped in his own blood. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. And again, his word is gonna do it not just lightning bolts and judgment and blood and stuff. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like jukes flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. This is the Jesus we need right now in our culture. Not the, gold, not the little baby. We're going to talk about little baby Jesus in the manger with the glowy light that comes off of him. I don't understand why Jesus glows. If my kid glowed, I'd go call somebody. That's weird, man. All the paintings Jesus glows in for some reason. Or we have supermodel Jesus. We don't have the Jesus who was despised and rejected of men 
who laid his life down and he said, I'm coming back someday and the way I come back will be very different the second time than when I came the first time. He's going to handle some stuff. He's going to handle some stuff. What he's talking about here, uh, Paul also talks about it. So keep something in Revelation because we're going to come back to this in a second. But go to the book of uh, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. If you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, you've gone too far. You go to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. Look at verse 15. This is called the second coming of Christ, is what John is talking about here, that Jesus is coming back someday. And, and Paul tells it, just from his perspective, what it's going to be like. Here's what he says. We tell you this directly from the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 15. We who are still living when the Lord returns, not if, when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves, and then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up. This is where the word rapture comes from that the theologians use. The idea of just caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. He says there is a second coming coming. And when that happens, it's, the way, it's a party. It's like finally everything has been put back right again. And it's the wedding feast of the Lamb. Uh, this final union. And what's, what's interesting about this, too, is you study this. I got this from Matt Chandler out in Texas, his series on Revelation. I went back and listened to something a couple of years ago that whenever God does dramatic things in our life, it often happens around a table. When God goes to get his people out of Egypt, he raises up Moses to be the one who's going to say, let my people go. But when he says, let my people go, he tells them, here's how we're going to do it. On this particular night, an angel is going to come through uh, Egypt and will strike down the firstborn of everybody in the land. If you take the blood of an innocent lamb, spotless and pure lamb, prefiguring, pre-shadowing, Jesus Christ, who would come many, many years later and put that blood over the doorpost of your house. When I said, when I said, I see the blood, I will pass over you. He says, and you think, well, that's how we're going to get out? We're going to eat a meal together? He says, yeah. You know what he's telling us here? Sit down. I, I, I got gotcha. you. I, I got this. And we think, oh, we got to rise up. We got to do this thing and go protest. Like, stop. Not to do anything. He won the whole dang thing because of what he did. And then they've been celebrating this Passover meal for centuries of time, over and over and over again. And then Jesus shows up here on the whatever it was, the 1837th version of Passover. And he's sitting in an upper room. And they had done this now for centuries of time and in the middle of a thing. And if you're Jewish and you ever did Passover, you knew they don't mess with this. The same thing happens every single time. And all of a sudden, in the middle, he goes, hey, stop. The old covenant is about to find its ultimate fulfillment in me because I give you now a new covenant, not in the blood of some lamb that you brought in your house, but in the blood of, of the lamb. You know what he's telling us there? Sit down. I got you. 
I got you. You don't, you don't have to, you don't do anything. You don't come in your blood. Well, you can. He said, that's, well, that's coming next year. <laughs> Go back in Revelation here. So this big great wedding feast of the Lamb and Jesus has come back now. That It's showing us the vision of Jesus coming back to rule and reign. This is verse 17 of chapter 19. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. There you go. There's a thought for you. Standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky. Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors of horses and their riders and of all humanity both free and slave, you see it here again, small and great. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Some of you are going, if you're brand new to this, go, go back and listen to our messages from previous weeks. Go back and read uh, Revelation uh, 12, 13, 14, all the way through the end. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead body. What he's telling us here is you've got to pick a side. You're either on Jesus' side or you're not. And you're not neutral. You are not Switzerland going, well, I'm just going to kind of figure it out someday. No, no, you are on a side. And if you're passively going, well, I'm just not going to choose a side, you've chosen a side. Write this down. You can eat the meal or you can be the meal. That's pretty good, huh? Hashtag tweet that out. TikTok that out. Somebody get that shot right now. You can eat the meal, the meal that God has prepared for you by his own blood, or if you stand in your own righteousness and you never come to terms with your sin and your need for a Savior and you are on the wrong side of this, the vultures are coming for you, baby. Eat the meal or be the meal. Then we get to chapter 20. That Beth just read the first few verses of for us. It talks about this idea of this thousand years. This is what the word millennium means. Mill, thousand, millennium, years. It's, it's the idea of this thousand year reign of Christ. And uh, it talks about this idea of Satan being bound, bound, that Jesus rules and reigns, and that at the end of this millennial time period, Satan will be temporarily released again to be ultimately defeated. Uh, it's the, there's a great last battle that will come. There's some verses there that you can read in Ezekiel, in Zechariah, and Zephaniah talking about this great last battle that happens. And in Revelation, several times we've seen several battles that are going to be fought. They're all just talking from different vantage points about the big famous last battle. And the truth is, Everybody goes, well, how's that battle going to happen? He goes, you know what's going to happen? Jesus is going to walk in there and go, it's finished, it's done. But not like I'm going to say it, like with the roar of thunder and it's done, over. A judgment will happen. Uh, these, the, the sequences of Revelation will tell you this over and over. We've told you this several times in this series. We have a little website that's on our website you can find and link to. That what happens in Revelation is not necessarily what happens next. It's what John saw next. Over and over again, it says, then I saw, then I saw, then I saw. And we know for a fact, like in, we were talking to Mike before the service today, in Revelation chapter 12, we've seen all these visions of end times prophecy and judgments. And then we get to Revelation 12 and it's uh, a, a picture of a dragon eating uh, a, the, the baby of a, of a woman. 
and it's talking about Christmas. So it can't be, it's not in sequential order. It's, it's like, boom, I saw this, and then boom, I saw this, and look over here. It, it, it flashes all over the place. Now, when it comes to the millennium, I'm going to give you an oversimplified overview of the millennium, uh, of, of what this means. Guys, books, we could fill this whole back wall of books written on the various ideas and theories of what this millennium is all about. Lots of debate and discussion around, watch out, 10 verses. 10, to talk about the millennium and this idea of this thousand year reign of Christ. There's three basic perspectives. They're there in your note sheet. There's the premillennial view, the postmillennial view, and the amillennial view. These people who see these issues very, very differently agree way more than they disagree on this idea of what the millennium is. There are some significant differences, but the overall theme is Jesus wins, Christ returns, and evil's done. There's great godly people who studied the Bible, who are conservative, they believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, that come to, look at me, very different conclusions on what this millennium really, what it actually is all about. And each one, this is important, each one emphasizes something that the others don't see or fully account for. I'm going to say that again. Each one of these views, pre, post, and amillennialism, uh, emphasize something the others don't see or they don't fully account for. And, and this is where we need to learn to disagree agreeably. Um, we, we live in a culture right now, it doesn't really happen here at Crosspoint very much, this idea of brand canceling people and then branding people as heretics because they see something differently in scriptures than you do. Here's the crazy thing about this idea of the, of the millennium. Um, we believe, we, when, when you talk about things that are that, uh, what we believe, there's some doctrines and beliefs that we have, we call them closed-handed doctrines. It means we hold on to them like this and we're not letting go of them. The idea that Jesus is God, that he is going to come back someday to rule and reign forever and ever, we believe that. Over here is... Is there a, like a secret rapture before that happens? Is the tribulation seven years or symbolic of something else? Is this millennium? How does it really break down and happen? Is Satan bound right now or is that only going to happen sometime in this distinct 1,000 literal period in the future? And good godly people over here see this very, very differently. So some of you are going, well, which one are we? None of your dang business because we get so focused on that. Remember, the essence of prophecy is to give clear testimony to Jesus, not about the schedule of when he's going to come back. Let me give you this real simplified um, overview. And again, those of you who studied this and gone to Christian colleges and studied like crazy, we got guys here that have written and are writing books on this. This is way oversimplified on purpose. Premillennialism believes that Christ returns before the millennium, we'll put some little things up here on the screen, uh, returns before the millennium, the, the focus of premillennialism is that it's future-focused, and by and large, their interpretation of the prophecies and scriptures are explicitly very, very literal when it comes to the years and the things that we see uh, described in the scripture. 
Uh, Christ returns before the millennium, preceded by a period of intense tribulation. There's verses in Daniel and in 1 Thessalonians and in Matthew. It talks about the idea of Isaiah 11, 6 through 9, the famous one that the lion and the lamb will lay down in peace together. That's going to happen here on planet Earth at some time in the future before the, uh, the great coming of the Lord where he says, uh, it says there that also the day will not come until there's a great falling away. The things are going to go from bad to worse, to awful, to terrible, before the Lord descends from heaven with a shout, trumpet call of God. Great godly men and women believe that's the correct interpretation of the millennium. There's also post-millennialism, which believes this, that Christ returns after the millennium as a golden age when a majority of the world has converted to Christ. The focus of post-millennialism, it's a bit of their screen here, is it's on the present focus, it's it, that, that, that the things that are happening right now are happening right now, and, the, and it's the hope that the gospel goes out, churches get planted, missionaries go out, and little by little by little, the world is converted to Christ, and God's great kingdom uh, comes. It, there's all kinds of verses on this from Genesis and Ezekiel. Um, it says in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, that, that nations will stream collectively to the righteousness of God. People in the post-millennial uh, camp believe, love the verses of Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not withstand its attack. And that is not just someday off in the distant future when Jesus comes back and just goes, bam, and crushes all of it, like right here, right now. They love the Matthew 13 parables where it talks about this idea. Jesus says, my kingdom is like this. It's like a little seed. And you put it in the ground, and it feels like nothing really happens. The next thing you know, you turn around and go, this big, massive mustard tree has grown from a tiny, fledgling little seed. It's a very process-oriented thing that sometimes it's seen, and sometimes it's unseen, just like how things grow in the world little by little by little. And then this, that's premillennialism, then there's postmillennialism, and then there's Ah, millennialism. And it says this, that Christ returns after the millennium and people in the amillennial camp do not expect a future, literal, actual 1,000 years, but rather view it as Christ's reign with Christians, with people on the earth right now during the time between his first coming, his birth, death, resurrection, and his second coming when he comes. We just read about this in Revelation here and in Thessalonians when Jesus comes back someday. What they focus on here is their focus is largely in the past, that the rule of Jesus began in the past. And a lot of how they interpret Scripture and interpret Revelation and the, the stuff in the Old Testament is symbolic and figurative, not usually literal. They will use a lot of times from Acts chapter 2, this idea of God's kingdom is right here, right now, not someday off in the future. Uh, Matthew, Matthew 12, Jesus tells the story of this idea of the binding of the strong man. He says, look, I have come to kick the you-know-what out of you-know-what. I've here come here, but he said, in order to do that, we have to bind the strong man. We have to go into his house and tie him all up because he has held the world captive, the house, the planet earth captive so we're going to bind him up and now we're going to go and we're going to plunder his house we're going to go rescue people out of darkness and redeem and save people that's millennialism. Uh, one of the other things they point to millennial interpreters of revelation will say is when you look at revelation 
we, last time we saw Satan and the dragon was right after he got bounced out of heaven when Jesus was born, when Jesus died. Satan's gone. You never see him in Revelation again until he's thrown into hell. What he's doing, he's kind of like a mafia boss working from heaven. He's, he's been bound. He's been confined. He still has influence. He's working through the dragon, the, 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 the beasts that we saw, and, and through the prostitute, both with overwhelming power and temptation and with the seduction of a really hot prostitute. So that's kind of the oversimplified version of it. Here's some weaknesses of each one of them. Premillennialism is too pessimistic about the future. This is what people say about it. It needs things to get really, really, really bad, and it's too future-oriented. It's all about way off in the future someday Jesus is coming back. Meanwhile, just tie a knot and hang on because it's going to get bad and worse and terrible. And they have verses for this. But, it, but it's, that's one of the criti- criticisms of premillennial theology. Postmillennial theology is criticized for being too optimistic. <laughs> They're too naive about sin and evil. One of the things you need to know as you study history, if those of you, that, the two of you that will study church history on this, uh, is that for a long time, uh, back in the 18, late 1800s, early 1900s, there was all this revival and all this stuff happening. And postmillennial theology was like a dominant thing that was going on. And then we had World War I and World War II, and everybody went, I'm not sure things are getting better, like the world's being converted to Christ when we've just slaughtered six million Jews. It felt, just felt difficult to keep holding on to that and so some of that. And then amillennialism is criticized for being too out of touch with reality. So much of the focus is on the symbolic nature of prophecy that they sometimes lose touch with the fact that these things are going to happen in real place, in real times, to real people. Um, and the idea, too, sometimes is because they're so focused on the idea that Jesus is king and Lord right now, they lose the idea of this imminence of Christ's return, that Jesus could return any day now, any day. And they sometimes lose, lose focus on that. Managing millennial madness. We've got to be careful with this. We're going to look at some of this. And what I tried to do was take a look at it myself and then take a look at, there's a great book, uh, Daryl Johnson. There's a book that's on that little website I made. You ought to get his book and read what he does here. Talks about here in the millennium. Uh, no matter which particular one you might happen to be or what you think we should be as a church, here's what they all three will absolutely agree on. And that's the most important thing. And not because we don't, because we want everybody to be happy and everybody to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. It's not about that. But sometimes, too, we get so focused on on trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong about the schedule and the sequencing of things that we miss the whole what this is really all about. Number one, write this down. Uh, when it comes to what they all agree on, number one is the world, which is you and I, are a hot mess. The world's a hot mess. We've talked about this in Revelation, that everything is broken. We had a, a funeral service today for a woman here in our community, 56 years old, got cancer 15 years ago. Like, guys, at the, at the super, at the, like, countries invade other countries for no reason other than that we just don't like you and we want to have a safer border here. Like, no, nobody's bothering you. Leave them alone. We have massive things that happen in our weather systems. Weather doesn't behave. Micro, the cells in your body, and I know some of your, the, your particular bodies in terms of what you've gone through, 
Some of the, you have, the cells in your bodies are not behaving the way they're supposed to. And the fact that we say, well, you know, but everybody's going to die, that's not the way the world's supposed to be. We've grown so used to how jacked up, screwed up the world is and what a hot mess it is. We just go, yeah, oh, well, everybody's going to die. Jesus is going, that's not the way it's supposed to be. This is the whole point of Revelation. He goes, we're going to come back. We're going to set that thing straight here in a bit. So the world, you and I, are a hot mess. And if you think you're not a hot mess, you think you're a good person, you're the worst. You're the one that's jacking the thing up worse than everybody because you have no idea what a mess and disaster you are. Um, Number two, (laughs) number two, the future is not up for grabs in terms of how it's going to turn out. We sometimes think, well, the world's a mess. I wonder how this is going to go. Is evil going to win or is God going to win? We have this idea. We see things going, who's, what's going to win here? And we sometimes think it's up for grabs. So come on, Christians, we got to make it happen. (laughs) And I think Jesus looks down from heaven, sitting on his throne, and just pats us on the head and goes, you're so cute. You're just so funny, ridiculous, cute. It's not up to you. It's, the future's not up for grabs. Jesus is going to fix it, not you and me. Now, again, because, well, we're going to get that in a second. I was almost going to skip to the end, but two more here before we get to the, the last two, which are the whole sermon today. Number three, the solution is in Jesus' hands, not ours. The solution is in Jesus' hand, not ours, which might be a good thing to keep in mind in your family with your current spouse, with your ex-spouse, with your children that are wayward, with people that are... I'm not sure when the craziness of what happened with COVID and then all the stuff with woke stuff and political division, oh, how divided things are. I'm not sure if that's going to get any better in two years. Probably going to get worse. Hmm. I don't know, but here's the deal, man. The solution is not in your hands. It's in Jesus' hands. Which means, you know what you can do a little bit? You can breathe. Because it's not up to you. Man, if it's up to you, we're, a me- we're, we're, a, we're done. I mean, look around here today. If it's up to us, God. Number four, the best is yet to come. This is the great news of Revelation. We are not in a never-ending cycle of history where some religions and stuff teach, well, you know, you come back someday. If you did really good, maybe you'll come back as a higher form of humanity. Or if you are really, really bad, you're going to come back as a cat. You know, who knows? Sorry, cats. I know if cat lovers hate me. I won't be able to say it tomorrow because Denise will be here. But, um. And again, in our westernized view of, of, of Christianity and evangelicalism in the West, all kinds of books... And, and pastors, these are good, godly, great men and women that will speak on this and say this, that I'll talk about, you want, you know, God wants to give you your best life now. And I want to tell you right now, no, he doesn't. If your best life is now, God, forget that, man. I got ripped off if my best life is right now. I don't want my best life now. C.S. Lewis talked about it this way. He talked about in his book, The The Chronicles of Narnia, and other books he wrote on this, he talks about the idea. We're going to look back at at this point, some idea of like our best life now and think how awesome and how amazing it was that our team won, that we got the new granite countertops, that we got the big, huge pool, that we got these great vacations, all this, we're going to go. 
wasn't wrong. He says, it's like the Shadowlands. It's like you saw shadows back then. Or like, you ever had a dream? And you woke up from the dream, and in the dream, it was all vivid and real, and you woke up from the dream, and like four weeks later, you go, what was that dream about again? There was like something in there, and then somebody came. It, 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 it was good, but it was like, it's just a shadow of the reality of the greatness that is coming. And so you guys got to come back next week, because this is, next week is the finale, the grand honking finale of where this is all going. And this is why you have to recognize the best is yet to come, because we live here in the West, where we can order coffees that take us uh, 12 seconds to order, that cost us $8. We can go out and have fantastic meals everywhere. We can go on great vacations. We can have an 85-inch television in our house that will give us 5,000 things to watch and nothing is on. You ever done that? Like, there's nothing on to watch here. And here's why. Because we're not all that excited about heaven and the best being yet to come because we go, oh, life's pretty good right now. And Jesus just goes, oh, you have no idea. And sometimes, too, the prosperity and the blessings of God have blinded us to the hope and how fantastic and amazing the next life that's coming will be for us. Now, as we look at this in the, in the, this, the, the, the big overview of the millennium. Uh, don't put the next two points up yet. Let me t- talk about this for a second. Um, the idea of the millennium, big idea, is that Satan is defeated. Satan and sin are defeated and that Jesus wins. That's the big, that's the whole point. We could have done Revelation in about 10 seconds. That's the whole point of Revelation. Satan and sin are defeated and Jesus and goodness and righteousness wins. Amillennialism looks at that happening in the past. Premillennialism says it's off somewhere in the future, and postmillennialism says it's happening right now. And some of you are going, well, which one are you, Steve? Which one are we? And my answer is yes. Write this down here. Number five and six, and come really fast for you. Number five, Satan and sin was defeated, is being defeated, and will ultimately be defeated. It's both a past reality. It's an ever-present reality right now, and it will be ultimately expressed in the future. And here's the best amazing news, that Jesus was, was king, was made king when he is, because he's been king from eternity past, but when he was born, lived, died, rose again, was king, he is king right now and will eventually be king in the future. This is the idea for some of the theologians that have coined this term, it's the already and not yet of our faith, that all this stuff is true right here right now, and yet it hasn't found its fullest, best expression yet. Which means, when you know you're going to win, and you're part of God's kingdom, you know what that means? You're playing with house money. When you Think how differently some of your coaches here. If you absolutely knew the game was guaranteed to win, no matter what you did in that field, you were going to win. Now, God's going to say you can't be stupid and do wrong, stupid, evil things here, but he's like, you're, I, I'm going to win. All of a sudden you go, as we're, we, we, we're a church here, but the, the phrase, I like the metaphor better of we're a kingdom outpost. God has this big massive kingdom with millions of kingdom outposts scattered throughout the uh, planet earth, uh, called out here. And you know what we're called to do here in our city? Cause some trouble, dang it. Cause some trouble. We recognize we live in enemy territory where there are strongholds and footholds, where the, the things, people are still held captive to the enemy. And our job is to go kick down the gates of hell, go take people who are, who are bound up in strongholds and, and cut those things off of them, get those things off of them so they can walk out of their freedom. We're, we're, we're called to go to war. 
We're not called to sit here. Guys, there's way more important things you could be doing here on Saturday night and Sunday morning than coming and singing some songs and listening to a guy yell at you for 45 minutes. Way more important things to do if this is just church and religion. We're at war here. And again, i got to be careful here because some of you go, that's right, we're at war. I'm going to go kill some people now. Nah, you do that kind of nonsense and now you're fighting with the tactics of the enemy and now you've become him. Way too many Christians of that we're supposed to do and fight out there and scream and yell and become like the enemy so we can defeat the enemy. And Dayton just goes, well, I got another one and one. See, what we do is we fight with the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and self-control and with the truth of God's word and with the power of prayer. And you do that kind of stuff. You, you want to scare the hell out of Satan? Get your Bible out and start reading it once a day and start walking around your neighborhood and praying. He's going to go, oh, crap, dude, they're up. They woke up. Because I told you a few weeks ago, what Satan's trying to do is go, he's not attacking us. Most of them are being attacked and persecuted. What he's telling us to do? Shh. Just go to sleep. And you'll hear a message like this. You can be roused to be involved in something and do something. You go, He's calling us to go make some trouble to go to war. It means when you invite people to come to church. This is not just getting to come to our church so we can get more people to sit in these chairs here. It's we're using this as an opportunity to go do Mount Rescue operations out there to free people from the darkness. Why we did our big jack-o'-lantern jamboree, why we're doing our Christmas services, why we're doing when you sponsor kids, when you pick up these, these gift tags here. This is not just being a sentimental being. A, yeah. We don't need any more decent human beings. Well, that's not true. We do need some more decent human beings. But that's not why Jesus called you to make you a decent human being. He called you to be part of his kingdom to go out there and not just be a good person in the world, but to go make a difference in somebody's life. You give that gift to somebody in the name of Jesus. says, look, that can have impact there and influence and get people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Uh, stuff you do here, putting, writing name tags for people is an act of war on the enemy. Having a welcome center there where you do that, where you give money to a church, when you, when you advance slides on ProPresenter to make sure people can see the song lyrics and do all that stuff. When, when you're back there with our kids and you're sitting there on the floor, I don't think we can do treats anymore because everybody is allergic to everything anymore, so we can't even do feed your kids anymore, but that's a different rant for a different day. Um, that's not just, well, they need someone to watch the kids. This is not, this is not child care. This is, we're going to war for your kids to go, look, we want your kids to come... Your kids are wretched, black-hearted sinners that need Jesus, no matter how cute and beautiful they are, or you think they are, because they're not as cute and beautiful as you think they are. I'm telling you right now. Uh, just ask their teachers. Um, <laughs> we, we're called to go out there and make a difference in those kids' lives. When you volunteer here and you serve here in all the different ways that we do here, um, when you go into your workplace, in the workplace, and the way you conduct your life there to be someone to say, I'm Christ's ambassador here. To represent him so that when people ask questions about how I respond to conflict or anger or honesty or whatever those kind of issues might be, it's not just being a good, decent person. It's about going to war to say we're going to shine the light so that more people will be attracted to that light. It's it's your kids and bedtime prayers. And drinks of water and stories at bedtime. Reminding him once again that Jesus loves them. That is not just, oh, I want him to have a nice good night's sleep. Mm. You could give him some NyQuil and that would happen. 
sorry. What we're called to do here is go to war for our kids. And so when you do that, you're going to war. Uh, it, it might be, <laughs> the simple act of war might be, you might have to go to your spouse and apologize for being a tool today. And maybe you were the whole tool belt. <laughs> maybe you were the whole thing. I, I've had some days like that. And guys, when you do that, it's not just to make everything good again, to make peace here. It's you're going to war for your soul. To keep yourself out of the darkness. Keep that mark of the beast off of you. All, all that. And when you pray, all the things that we do here, we're called to get out there and make some trouble. To be part of God's kingdom that is established in the past, is a reality right, right now in, in the present, and will find its ultimate expression someday in the future. The band's coming up. And we're going to sing. Sing some great songs. We're going to sing some great songs to Jesus about Jesus. Our prayer team is at the back of the house today. If you need prayer for anything today, we're also going to give you a chance to come and receive communion. And here's what communion is important today. Because when you come to tables of communion, here's what it's all about. It's you remember something. You remember what Jesus did, not what you did. And for some of us, you go, I don't remember writing it because I lived a jacked up, screwed up, messed up life. So you don't, I go, oh, I'm a mess. You say, got to be guilt and shame. But you know the most insidious thing for good church people, what happens to us is we don't remember the bad things we did. We think, look at all the good things I'm doing. Which is probably more dangerous to your spiritual health than the evil stuff over here. So we don't come with remembering the bad things we've done or the good things we've done. We come remembering the great thing that Jesus did for us. When 2,000 years ago, the Son of God bled, died in our place. Uh, his body was broken. His blood was spilled. So come to tables of communion. Come and receive prayer. And we're just going to sing our heads off. Jesus, today, we celebrate. We celebrate today with, with a shout, with, with joy that you have won that you are winning and that you will win. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.